Section 13 of Reminiscences and Table Talk of Samuel Rogers. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. At one of Lady Crewe's dinner parties, Grattan, after talking very delightfully for some time, all at once seemed disconcerted and sunk into silence. I asked his daughter, who was sitting next to me, the reason of this. Huh, she replied, he's just found out that he's come here in his powdering coat. Grattan said that Malone went about looking through strongly magnifying spectacles for pieces of straw and bits of broken glass. He used to talk with admiration of the French translation of Demosthenes by Auger. He thought it the best of all translations. He declared that the two greatest men of modern times were William III and Washington. Three persons, said Grattan, are considered as having the best claim to the authorship of Junius's letters. Gibbon, Hamilton and Burke. Gibbon is out of the question. I do not believe that they were Hamilton's, because a man who was willing to be known as the author of a bad piece would hardly have failed to acknowledge that he had written an excellent book. I incline to think that Burke was Junius. Burke, observed Grattan, became at last such an enthusiastic admirer of kingly power that he could not have slept comfortably on his pillow if he had not thought that the king had a right to carry it off from under his head. Do you ever say your prayers? asked Plunkett of Grattan. No, never. What? Never? Neither night nor morning? Never, but I have aspirations all day and all night long. What you have just mentioned, said one of Grattan's friends to him, is a profound secret. Where could you have heard it? Grattan replied, Where secrets are kept? in the street. You remember the passage in my human life, a walk in spring, Grattan, like those with thee by the heath-side, who had not envied me, when the sweet limes so full of bees in June led us to meet beneath their boughs at noon, and thou didst say which of the great and wise could they but hear, and at thy bidding rise, thou wouldst call up and question. I allude to some lime trees near Tunbridge Wells. Grattan would say to me, Come, Rogers, let's take a walk among the lime trees and hear those great senators, the bees. And while we were listening to their buzzing and humming, he would exclaim, Now they're holding a committee, etc., etc. He would say to, Were I a necromancer, I should like to call up Scipio Africanus. He was not so skilful a captain as Hannibal, but he was a greater and more virtuous man. And I should like to talk to Julius Caesar on several points of his history. On one particularly, though I would not press the subject if disagreeable to him, I should wish to know what part he took during Catiline's conspiracy. Should you like to call up Cleopatra? I asked. No, replied Grattan, not Cleopatra. She would tell me nothing but lies, and her beauty would make me sad. Footnote. 
the very reverse of the effect which the beauty of the little cottage girl produced on Wordsworth, quote, her beauty made me glad. We are seven. Speaking to me of the poem just cited, Wordsworth said, it is founded on fact. I met a little girl near Godrich Castle who, though some of her brothers and sisters were dead, would talk of them in the present tense. I wrote that poem backward, that is, I began with the last stanza. End of footnote. Grattan was so fond of walking with me that Mrs. Grattan once said to him rather angrily, You'll be taken for Mr. Rogers's shadow. How I should like, said Grattan one day to me, to spend my whole life in a small, neat cottage. I could be content with very little. I should need only cold meat and bread and beer and plenty of claret. I once said to Grattan, if you were now only twenty years old and Cook were about to set sail round the world, should you like to accompany him? He answered, I have no wish to see such countries as he saw. I should like to see Rome, Athens and some parts of Asia, but little besides. He declared that he had rather be shot than go up in a balloon. Grattan's uncle, Dean Marley, gave the nicest little dinners and kept the best company in Dublin. His parties were delightful. At that time he had about four hundred a year. Afterwards, when he had succeeded to an estate and was made a bishop, he gave great dinners, chiefly to people of rank and fashion, foolish men and foolish women, and his parties lost all their charm. He in square brackets, Marley, had a good deal of the humour of Swift. Once, when the footman was out of the way, he ordered the coachman to fetch some water from the well. To this, the coachman objected that his business was to drive, not to run on errands. Well then, said Marley, bring out the coach and four, set the pitcher inside, and drive to the well. A service which was several times repeated to the great amusement of the village. Grattan, entering a cottage with a hat in his hand, Sir, you're most obedient. Now, sir, how much may you earn in a week? You eat little or no meat, I suppose? Anxious to confute Forster, who had said that cottages about Tunbridge lived worse than those in Ireland. Like Louis the Fourteenth, he returns the bow of a child. Readers note sayings of Grattan. One of the reasons why the affairs of nations are not better conducted is that the consequences of our misconduct is more remote and less certain than any false step we may make in private life. A nation may be ruined, but not in our time nor will the causes that led to it be so obvious as to attach certainly to such or such a person. We may not live to see the tragedy, nor indeed may it ever take place. Our self-interest in that respect is therefore less awake, and so also are our consciences, nor is our imagination so excited by the prospect of evil to many as to one. Our self-interest as individuals, which is generally short-sighted, 
counteracts the other too powerfully. Were I rich and could live as I please, I should have no wish for a fine house or fine furniture. I would rather not have them. I should be afraid of hurting them. Or pictures. They give me no pleasure. I would have no fine gardens or conservatories. I love the fruit. But I would have no fine gardener to criticise me and tell me I was doing wrong or walking awkwardly. I should love a wide expanse. I would have bands of music. I love music. I would have a carriage for use and fine horses, but not for riding. I love to go fast. I would cut the air. Wealth makes a man sad. He lives for others who don't care for him. He becomes a steward. I cannot bear large and mixed companies. They make me miserable. In square brackets, Mrs. G complains that he ought to bear his share in them, but he won't. He has no voice for them, Samuel Rogers, close square brackets. Lord Bullingbrook, a very fine speaker, and therefore banished the house. His dedication to his dissertations on parties, a very fine imitation of that to killing no murder. A fine prospect to the visitor or traveller is ever delightful, but possession destroys the pleasure. If I delighted much in a view or a spot, I would wish some other person to live there. Pitt's faults might arise in some degree from his situation. For twenty years he was an apologist for failure and an imposer of taxes. In other words... A humbug. Burke's speeches are far better to read than to hear. They are better suited to a patient reader than to an impatient hearer. Mrs. Anne Pitt, Lord Chatham's sister, a very superior woman. She hated him, and they lived like dog and cat. She said he had never read but one book, The Fairy Queen. He could only get rid of her by leaving his house and setting a bill upon it, this house to let. Every sentence, in square brackets, of Fox, came rolling like a wave of the Atlantic, three thousand miles long. Stella, footnote Mrs. Johnson, whom Swift had celebrated under the name of Stella, used often to visit my aunt and sleep with her in the same bed, and weep all night. She was not very handsome. Miss V. Dash was handsome. Footnote Miss Van Hom Rye, whom Swift called Vanessa. Who was the best speaker you ever heard? Fox, during the American War. Fox, in his best days, about the year 1779. Using the word disloyalty in the sense it has been used in makes the king the law. Lord Chatham, quote, Don't inquire from what quarter the wind cometh, but whither it goeth. And if any measure that comes from the right honourable gentleman tends to the public good, my bark is ready. Quote, 
I stand alone. I stand like our first ancestor, naked but not ashamed. Lord Chatham, I think, delivered finer things than Demosthenes, but he had a greater theatre, and men are made by circumstances. Quote, America has resisted. I rejoice, my lords. Footnote. Quote, the gentleman tells us America is obstinate. America is almost in open rebellion. I rejoice that America has resisted. Three millions of people so dead to all feelings of liberty as voluntarily to submit to be slaves would have been fit instruments to make slaves of the rest. End footnote. This passage, I think, excels any in Demosthenes. I was in Paris in 1771 for three months and delighted, though I made no acquaintance but with an abbe and a swindler. I went with two other Templars to study in France by Havre, taking coke upon Littleton, but settled nowhere. Solitude is bad. I have tried Tinhinch for twenty years, readers note Grattan's house in Ireland. It leads to melancholy, to a sort of madness. You think of your vexations, your age. Society should always be in your power. An old man cannot enjoy solitude. He has learnt the secret. He has found out the rogueries of fortune. Nor will reading supply the want. I would live in a house full of society to which I might escape from myself. I was called the spirit of the Dargle, footnote, a glen near Tinahinch, I found out, he said, laughing, that a man's worst companion is himself. The king, Charles I, had made war on the people, but the death of Strafford was less to be justified. Though a thief, a robber, he was no traitor. He had committed every crime but that for which he was condemned to die. Of what use is it, Lycidas, says Johnson, Footnote. See Johnson's criticism of Lycidas in his Life of Milton, where he speaks of it as without nature and without truth, its diction as harsh, its numbers as unpleasing, its images long ago exhausted, and its form as that of a pastoral, easy, vulgar, and therefore disgusting. End of footnote. These things, they take the mind out of the dirt as it were. The French poets I read with little pleasure, and am glad when I have done, wallow perhaps, but such is their homage to the great, we are the worse for them. A wife should be of a modest character. She should sing. Burke's best things, on the payment of the nabob of Arcot's debts, Descent of Hyder Ali on the Carnatic. He was heard without much attention. We should always have the appearance of narrative, not of description. Dislikes the clergy and all humbugs. In square bracket Samuel Rogers. His forte in conversation is sketching a character with a gentle voice and many pauses, but 
with a delicate irony, a great archness of look and manner, beginning, as you would think, with something like praise, and ending with a roll of the person and a turn of the head, in a coup de patte. It is very delightful to see him with Miss Fox. The enjoyment she feels encourages him. End Samuel Rogers, end square brackets. Pitt would be right nineteen times for once that Fox would be right, for that once will be worth all the rest. The heart is wiser than the schools. In conversation, said Plunkett, he gave results rather than processes of reasoning. Every sentence was a treasure. When Dr. Lucas, a very unpopular man, ventured on a speech in the Irish Parliament and failed altogether, Grattan said, he rose without a friend and sat down without an enemy. Of Dash, he said, he was a coward in the field and a bully in the street. End of section 13